0: Hey, everybody, you're listening to the Sharpen Podcast, episode number nine. Today, we have on guest Doug Wilson, and he's going to talk about intergenerational friendships. So, let's get started. Hey, everyone, Kirby Green here. Thanks for listening to the Sharpen podcast. It's the podcast for young professionals. Hey, guys, before we introduce our guest today, um, I know I ask this every time, but I really do want your feedback. So if you would, please leave a review on the, um, the app. Um, so the App Store, the podcast app, and let me know what you would like to hear more of, less of, if you have a new idea. Um, I really do want to hear from our audience. So that is, um, that's my one ask, and I'll leave it alone for the rest of the show. <laughs> I'm really excited for our conversation today with Mr. Doug Wilson. Uh, so brought him on the podcast to talk about intergenerational relationships. And as you'll hear, our conversation immediately shifted to talk about intergenerational friendships, and you may be thinking, Well, that's not much different, but it really is. So, really excited for this conversation today. Uh, a little bit about Doug, he's the chairman of Monon Capital LLC, it's a multidisciplinary investment, thought, and conversation studio that engages with partners around ideas and opportunities for innovation. Prior to founding Monon Capital, he was Senior Vice President and Chief Administrative Officer of Hillenbrand, Inc. until he retired in 2014. He has previously held senior executive positions at Boston Scientific Corporation, Guidant Corporation, Ronald Blue & Co., and Eli Lilly & Company. He also chairs the Board of Trustees of the Sagamore Institute, serves as the trustee of the Trinity Forum, and is a director of the International Arts Movement. One thing I loved about um, Doug that he shared with me, he's a steward of the Little Free Library in his neighborhood of the Arts and Design District in Carmel, Indiana. So the library is known for its focus on on time-honored children's books, um, its adult patrons, and uh, has some really, really cool short stories. Um, So he and his family are really passionate about um, not only the library, but ways to engage um, in their community and caring um, for those um, that, that live in their community. So I love that, that example. Folks, here is my interview with Mr. Doug Wilson. Hey, Sharpen listeners, really excited to have a special guest on today, Mr. Doug Wilson. So, first of all, Doug, thanks uh, for joining us on the Sharpen podcast.
1: Uh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure.
0: Yeah, yeah. So Doug and I connected through a, a mutual friend, which you're gonna hear me say that a lot on this podcast, folks, of well, we connected through a mutual friend. Actually up until what five, ten minutes ago, Doug, we never spoken Yeah. Um that's correct. To each other. Yeah, just through email. So guys, find those folks that are good mutual friends and that cultivate different relationships with folks that you would have never had had the opportunity to meet. But anyways, I'll I'll, uh, I'll get off that soapbox. We're so excited to have Doug today. Um, and, and Doug, so folks have heard your bio, really impressive bio, and we want to hear more about that. But, you know, just tell, you know, who is Doug Wilson? What are some of those stories or experiences that are key to who you are. And, you know, tell us what do you get fired up about in life? The the stage is yours.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you. Um, it's interesting because when my wife and I go out, uh, Jane Ann, we often get this question, people come up and go, well, you know, what's Doug interested? in?" she goes, you know, this is going to be a lot shorter conversation if you ask me what he's not interested in.
0: <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and that.
1: That is, I think, probably the best way to describe the way that I engage with the world is that I'm really curious, but not necessarily in an intense kind of way. So it's not like boring in. It's just like, I just find all kinds of things interesting. Um, I'm an avid reader. Uh, we're really committed to uh, as a family of, uh, engaging and building out for the common good. Um, we are, you know, we love our engagement in our faith community. Um, We've been married uh, 43 years, uh, two daughters. Uh, as a person, I think um, I've come to the conclusion, this is one of those interesting things, you know, over the years, you, you begin to realize who are you really versus who do you think you would like to be? Mm-hmm. So as an example, I've come to the realization that one of the things I do very well, and it's, I think it's actually a gift, uh, a God's gift to me, is that I connect people to people and people to ideas. And every time that happens, my buzz meter goes off the charts. So when I can uh, have that type of experience where somebody's saying something over here, and in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, you need to talk to this person over here. And kind of that, that horizontal connection type of thing uh, from one discipline to another, from one idea to another to, uh, it, for me, the, the world looks like, like a giant mind map most of the time. And I love making those connections. A second thing has become a real passion for the notion of um, this intergenerational friendship part, because I've, I think a lot in the world of metaphors, and I think about estuaries, and in a lot of ways, I view my life as, uh, as an estuary. So we have got all these things kind of coming in, and estuaries are naturally incredibly fertile places. So for me, an intergenerational friendship turns out to be just another form of an estuary we've got. You know, the, the folks in their 20s and their 30s. I've got folks that are older than me. I've got folks that are, you know, in their 40s. And when all those folks come together, amazingly interesting things happen. And to kind of unpack that more, then uh, I have committed myself uh, in this phase with uh, my own company to say, my, I just want to be available and accessible to people. So if somebody comes, if somebody calls and says, hey, so-and-so said I should talk to you, I want the answer to that question to be able to be, sure, let's do that. As opposed to yeah. in my corporate life where it was like, well, when I get back from, you know, this trip to Switzerland in, you know, 10 days, why don't we meet from four to five at the, you know, the coffee shop by the airport? Right. That, right. that didn't allow for much accessibility or availability for that matter. So
0: You paint that picture so well of intergenerational relationships and you said the word friendships which I love but let's so let's go back let's unpack that so for you Doug I mean when when did that personal conviction of I need this I want this I want to cultivate this I mean you said as a family we are committed to reaching out in our community in this way I mean what did that look like when did that happen for you where I said we're we're committed to this as I'm committed to this as an individual in my business and as a family
1: That's a great question. Um, I would say it started a long time ago, but I actually didn't know what it was. Meaning that I, uh, my mother was a teacher, my dad was a salesman. They were always just engaging with people in their own world. So I could observe, you know, that they had all these things going on intergenerationally, largely through their work. Um, I was also fortunate to be raised in a home in which all of life is integrated, so um, what I mean by that is that i never I can never remember having a moment where I'm trying to think about I wonder how I integrate my faith in my work mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because in in the world I grew up in my people were my parents were people of really quiet faith uh, but the notion that life isn't all integrated all the time that that's just the way life is so i I began in these conversations then with people where they'd say, um, boy, it looks like you just, you just manage your work-family relationships so well, your faith and your work things so well. How did you manage to integrate it? And that's where my first experience of working, of being in these intergenerational friendships myself, in my, uh, really in my early 30s, I had people basically going, that's the wrong question it is definitionally integrated. The fact that you can break it into parts actually doesn't make that true. So if you're asked, if you're trying to find an answer to a question that's not real, there is no answer. Mm. And it took me a long time to figure yeah. out the wisdom of that. So the, the short answer to your question is I was actually the product of these intergenerational friendships, but I didn't know what it was. It just seemed natural. And then as it went on, I thought there were points where I realized that The people that I spent most time with were beginning to look a lot like me, meaning in my same age group, my same demographic, but in this case, really the same age group. And I thought, wow, um, this is awfully narrow. Uh, It's narrow in the sense of almost a selfish sense of saying, "How how do I understand how people who are in their 20s are experiencing the world if I don't have any friends who are in their 20s? And one day, and this is actually how I got connected to EDGE. I had this epiphany where I thought, you know, the only people I know who are millennials are people who work for me or who are my children or friends of my children. I don't have any actual friendships with people who are in the millennial group, if you will. And I thought, I just, I'm going to fix that. So I, <laughs> I hunted around a little bit and ran into uh, the folks at EDGE and thought, okay, try that. And, and now I've got, in my own group, I have nine Friends, true friends mm-hmm. that we we hang out together. I mean, we as weird as that is, in some ways, I'm like I'm old enough to be their dad most of the time, like all the time, actually. But that's actually not what the relationship feels like. Yeah. You know, we'll we'll go out and you know have a cup of coffee and just have a conversation, just like friends would. But um, it. So it began a long time ago, but real, very recently, it became an act of intentionality of saying, "If I don't, if I don't make this happen, there's no natural way it's going to happen as right. a friendship." So,
0: and I. Again, I, I just want to highlight. I love the fact that you're not saying intergenerational networking. And not that networking is a bad word or taboo or a relationship, but you're saying friendship. it It is different. It feels different. And I love that that's your approach. And I want to so I want to go back. You're talking about your family and how, an integrated, all, an integrated life was what you saw modeled growing up. That isn't the case across the board for everyone. And so you had a really great example from day one. But you said, I learned to engage with people in their own world. So as you've approached those those millennial relationships, those all of those friendships that you're intentionally pursuing, kind of walk us through that. How do you, practically speaking, engage with people in their own world? What does that look like?
1: Well, I think it starts for me with um, almost a rejection of one concept, and this is where it gets a little fuzzy at times. Because, and I'm going to pick on the word mentor. Uh, much like you said, you know, networking isn't a particularly good word. I, I like the word mentor, but the problem is, is that it means so many things to so many people. It actually doesn't have any real meaning. Because what I find, what I was finding, is that when you're in that conversation there's an implied hierarchical relationship as opposed to one that's very mutual R- realizing there are different perspectives but there's a tremendous sense of mutuality and that's what I look that's what I look for so when people you know, when people ask me boy as a mentor you must have so much to offer and i go well maybe but that's actually not how i think about it what i think about it is that i have eight friends from whom i learn a lot every time we're in the conversation mm-hmm. so most of it comes to just trying is just the listening what is it that that's that is of interest in a person's life that they actually want to talk about and that's for me how it starts is well what's going on with you not in a in a inquis a deep inquisitive way but just kind of what are the things that are on your mind that we could talk about? Now, for me, it helps because I'm an, you know, it's really hard to find a topic I'm not interested in having a conversation <laughs> around and hearing where, you, where you're coming from on that. Uh, the second piece very practically for me is that I have to discipline myself to not be rehearsing my response in the middle of your question. So mm-hmm. I yeah. try to be very, very present and that takes about as strong an act of my will as anything can be because my natural inclination would be about halfway through the question I've I've already got something in mind and that's when I realize well and that's if that's true what I'm am re- really not listening to you I'm trying to make a point to you and I really want to turn that around and go I actually want to know how you what you think but even more importantly is how did you, you know, how did that formulate in your mind? You know, how how did you get to that point? And I honestly, I'm doing it out of a sense of curiosity because I'm always intrigued by how is it that people think about things and
0: why? Yeah. so uh, Listening. Right. Listening at the core. I love that you say not rehearsing my responses. And and folks that are listening today, I mean, what a really cool practical call out in all of our interactions, whether it's with a mentor, a coworker, a parent, a spouse and being present in those, you know, one one concept, one idea. And and Doug, you're going to laugh here. I'm I'm an agriculture major. I like things very simple, practical. So if I mispronounce orthogonal. Experiences. Did yeah, I say that correctly? You did. Yes. Awesome. Hey, it's a good day. Um, <laughs> one, one idea, one concept that you've mentioned before, and I just want you to spend some time on that in these relationships. Uh, explain that idea to us, the premise, and what you, how you use that practically in those intergenerational friendships.
1: Well, this is uh, this is really at the heart of the way that I think about things. So it starts with the premise that. Oftentimes, we're the prisoners of our past experience. So uh, over time, the experiences we have create a set of frameworks that we carry around in our head that we use then to assess things that come towards us. So we go, you know, if, I, if I'm a, a finance person, as an example, oftentimes the frameworks that I use to assess almost every situation come through the lens of the fact that I've spent a lot of time in the world of finance. And I'm doing, you know, so I end up with language like ROI in a conversation that's about a relationship. And you go, you know, that's actually probably not the best framework to think about a relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have these frameworks in our mind. But the challenge with the frameworks is that they often come with strategies and actions as to how to assess things and how to react to those and or how to act into those. So it dawned on me through a whole series of experiences I had across my career of, wait a minute, things that appear new to me and novel, I actually live in other people's world and they're very natural. So orthogonal then becomes an intentional action To be with groups of people who are completely not like me, but with the purpose of understanding what are their frameworks, what are their strategies. So a a real short example, I was in the pharmaceutical industry and uh, we were doing this work around combinatorial chemistry, which think about it as organic chemistry with math rather than mixing stuff together. And what the impact of that was, we create thousands of new chemical entities And the problem became one of, well, how do you screen them to find out what they actually do? And the pharmaceutical industry struggled with that. And you're thinking about an industry that spends tens of billions of dollars, if not hundreds of billions of dollars a year, and they couldn't solve that problem. Well, we found a company down in the southeast, acquired the company, and I was looking at this technology and I thought, there's no way this is worth the tens of millions of dollars we're paying for it. And I said... I don't understand how an industry who spends all this money couldn't solve that problem. He goes, well, it's simple. You, you folks are all scientists. I actually went to General Motors Institute as an undergrad. This was actually an engineering problem. And Henry Ford solved it about 50 years ago. The fact that it looked yeah. new to you didn't actually make it new. And I had this incredible uh, moment of clarity that said, uh oh, if I can, if I'm going to be constrained by the frameworks in my head, that's a big problem. I have to add more frameworks. So I started doing things like I went to a, a group, to an artist thing sponsored by the international arts uh, movement. I went to an encounter they had. And here I am, the only business person in a room full of people who are artists. And from there, it evolved to, and I do this with uh, most of the people I engage with now, saying, I'd like for you to come with me to an orthogonal experience And they'll go, what that? What's that? And I'll tell them a little bit of this story. And I said, but the number one thing I will tell you is that there will be virtually nobody in the room who actually does what you do. And their first response is, well, why would that be helpful? And it's like, well, because the best ideas actually come from associating with people who don't think like you do. So if you've got a novel problem on your hands, the odds that you're going to get an answer to something that feels novel from engaging with the people you're with every day, those odds are really low. But if you go out into other worlds, so as an example, I've got a uh, developer friend of mine and we'll go to here, for example, uh, an evening conversation that would would have uh, like Nick Kristoff from the New York Times and John Anazu from Wash U having a conversation that demonstrates civility in the public square. Now, his first response is, how does that help me in developing? And my answer is, it doesn't help you in developing at all in the moment. But what it helps you see is how people who have radically different views of how the world should operate can actually engage in a civil, productive, common good advancing dialogue in a public square. And then he'll go along and he'll go, you know, that's exactly what zoning meetings are like. Mm, Bingo. Yep. Bingo. That's the point. But you wouldn't know how to think about that if you hadn't seen it in action in another world. So a long way around the bush then is orthogonal turns out to be a way to add frameworks through experiences and then be able to see the strategies and actions that people have by simply viewing a problem differently than they were able to before and i just enjoy inviting people to those i i, I really enjoy them and so far everybody else in, seems to enjoy them as well
0: that that is so good there's so much there folks there's so much there and y- you know Doug we're in a time in our country in our world where there's truly a lack of unity and with it within the church context just across multiple Organizations and entities and what I love in this big picture here We have intentionality around surrounding ourselves With people that do not think and look and talk like us Mm -hmm. And there is absolute value in that and whether you cultivate a new friendship You learn how to conduct a meeting differently you solve a problem but bigger than that it's a relationship and a friendship that I think is filling that gap as we think about a lack of unity across just yeah. multiple organizations and groups here. So, uh, let me ask you this. So, you talk about engaging with millennials through Edge. So, we've had Dave Neff on before. Um, edge Mentoring, we'll put a little plug in here. Doug and I can't go on <laughs> with this interview without doing this. Um, check out Edge Mentoring, it's been impactful for me. It, I know. From our conversation, it's been impactful for you, Doug. So if you want an intentional way to cultivate intergenerational friendships, it's a great avenue. But with that said, if you could just have, you know, all of the millennials in the world and if you could send a message out around this, this theme, this idea, this passion of yours of intergenerational friendships, what would you say? And then across, across all all generations, all age groups, you know, so the folks that are listening to this are probably in that millennial group. I mean, just what message would you hit home with those folks today as as you think about this topic and this idea?
1: I think the first thing I would start with is be intentional and finding that line, being intentional about engaging with folks that there's this kind of this weird dance that goes on that, I might want to have, uh, you know, to build a relationship with you, and you might want to build a relationship with me, but somebody actually has to take the first move. And because the concept of networking in my mind has gotten so uh, powerful in the wrong ways, it's actually created a barrier for people who just say, Can we just get together and have a conversation? I have no agenda other than I. I think you're you're an interesting person. I'd like to get to know you. And I will always start with the notion of be intentional, and I would say be upfront. So w- when I have these conversations with people, I'll go. I'd just like to have a conversation. There is no. This is like a smorgasbord. If anything I say you don't like, you don't have to. Don't take it. It's okay. Um, and if this. If this conversation doesn't result in anything more than the fact that we, just I just had a chance to meet another interesting person, that's great. Um, So I try to set, as weird as it is, a very low bar in terms of what this is really about. I have no I have no ulterior motive here. Um, I would just like to get to know you. That's it, and that is so amazingly novel to people. You'd think, well, that's like the easiest thing in the world, and. I think the reason it's not is it be because people have become very uh, jaundiced about this notion of networking, that everybody's always got an angle. They're always looking to do something. They're always looking for a connection to something. And I think if you back up and you go, I have none of that. I, none. Now, I do want to be intentional. I actually thought, I would like mm-hmm. to get to know you. <laughs> that's, that's it. Um, so I think intentionality is one thing. I think the other part is... Um, Just practicing the art of conversation, I think the world we live in today makes actually having a conversation really hard because it demands that you participate with somebody in a way in which you you actually don't have an agenda to accomplish. You're trying to create an agenda between two people who are having the conversation or three or four if you're around a, a table that the conversation sits in the middle. It's not one person trying to advance a cause. And I think particularly for those of us who have long professional careers and people who are starting as young professionals, one of the things you learn quickly and can overlearn, I personally think everybody overlearns it, is that you need to be advancing your agenda. And I don't think that serves the cause of creating a conversation well. Because you you have to actually go into it with the notion of this is something we can all create together and we can all make a contribution. It's not whether I can steer everybody in the room to the direction I want. It's really around how to create something new out of everybody's perspective. And that just takes practice. And again, intentionality, you have to have that as the goal rather than a means to the end.
0: And that's so helpful, Doug, because I know folks that are listening today and and I'll just speak for myself, but I'm assuming that other folks are thinking the same thing. We've been trained. We've been coached on, you know, you need to show up with an agenda and you need to have maybe an ask at the end of how someone can help you and you can help them. And that's the value. But what I love about what you're saying is that in these interactions um, and being intentional and having a conversation the value, the goal, the agenda is I just want to get to know you. I want to get to know your frameworks. I want to get to know your stories. And if we think that those things are not powerful and add so much value to so group, so many groups, we are wrong. You know that's where that's where magic happens. So I, I love I love what you're what you're sharing with folks today because I think that we could use a nice little refresh button on the way that folks have been coached and trained to have conversations and to quote network.
1: You know, and I think a part of this is that in some ways it can sound like a very soft approach. And and I think that's not quite the way to think about it. I think the way Mm -hmm. it's really more one of saying, I want to be intentional about the things that I want to be intentional about. Meaning that I'm not trying to be intentional about the network. I'm trying to be intentional about, hearing enough of your story to understand how I can be of value to you. Mm -hmm. The second is, what can I learn from you that I don't know that can really help me be uh, more effective in the things I'm doing? So I see it as as immensely practical, but I'm coming at it with a different type of intentionality as opposed to how do I use you as a means to an end? Um, And one of the things, big lessons I learned in, my career is that the fastest way to destroy a corporate culture is for people to feel like they're a means to your end. And I I spent a lot of time on this notion that people are an end and the business is an end. And because, well, you know, you're know, you in Kentucky, I'm in Indiana, so basketball is life, right? As I tell people, right. there's no such thing as a winter sports in Indiana that involves the outdoors. You know, it's a, bas- <laughs> a winter sport is basketball. But the point of the metaphor there is that if you play basketball, you must be able to run and dribble at the same time. So I view the same thing in terms of the relationship. You have to be able to see people as an end and the business as an end. There's, there is no prioritization. And you know, in that, it's just a form of intentionality. And the bottom line is, I never, ever want to treat people as a means to my end. And I don't want them to have that experience. So,
0: that's hey, that's that's great. That's great. That's um, you know, Doug, you talk about you've interacted with millennials a lot, right? That's a good mic drop moment. Um, so you can just hashtag mic drop after that. Um, but please do not drop your microphone today for sake of practicality. Um, <laughs> hey, I wanted no. to ask you. You talked about your company a little bit. Share with us a little bit more and make us familiar about what you do and um, also how folks can connect with you. So if they've heard something today and want to learn more or just whether it's social media or whatnot, any connection points?
1: Sure. Well, Monon Capital is um, my firm and we do a couple of things. Number one is, and this actually relates to the millennial piece, is we're structured as a specific learning objective to understand what I call the uberization of everything or the sharing economy or uh, distributed work. Uh, the network economy, whatever it is you want to call it. So everybody who works for me has to be a single member LLC. And for me, it's it's a notion of understanding how is the nature of work changing when the concept of what it means to be an employee is changing and moving out of, you know, that's always been true for artists and others. But now, as an example, I, you know, I have a financial professional who works for me who does this. I have a person who does writing and marketing type stuff with me who who's a single member LLC. And I, say, I don't want you to not grow. So if you decide to expand your business, have at it, it just means that I need to find another person because I have a very specific learning objective about understanding the implications of this uberization of work where people are actually the value creators and capture most of the value for themselves in a different type of an employee relationship. So that's how we're Physically structured, and when I say we, uh, it's a collection of people that I work with and very much in a, in a peer type thing. In terms of the actual work we do, we do venture capital investing and healthcare, and I, I have a couple of partners in different places, and we do mostly healthcare and technology in the intersection, although we do a lot in agriculture and a few other things. That's one arm. The middle part is what I call a thought and conversation studio, which is where I spend the bulk of my time, which is actually these types of conversations. How can I help you uh, unpack a very vexing problem you have? And we use a multidisciplinary approach. So I say, you know, somebody will call and they'll go, I, I, I'm really perplexed by this. And I start with the assumption of you're smart and you got a lot of smart people who work with you. So why don't we start this story over again and I will, I'll listen to your story, but then the next time I'll bring a molecular biologist, an architect, somebody who knows nothing about your world. And you tell that story again and we'll hear it through this orthogonal lens. We'll hear, it, we'll hear you tell your story metaphorically, if you will. And then we'll tell you, well, here, if I'm, a, if I'm an architect, here's what you've just described for me. And it gives people insight into new frameworks and new strategies. And then if they just say, you know, hey, I I think I actually want to focus on that issue now. Then I make the connection to people who will do a longer series engagement with you on that. And then finally, we have a a charitable fund that we run through the National Christian Foundation. So that's the three arms of of Monon Capital.
0: Oh, fantastic. Hey, that... um... I love that you're even hitting home what you said earlier of all of life is integrated and just in the description of what you guys do and Mm. and what what your day looks like. I I heard that message again. And so thank you. We appreciate that a lot. Uh, Tell us. um, Actually, I'll, I'll stop here you know, on the podcast and you've, you've shared that you've listened before. We like to get to know our guests and we also think it's really important to, um, highlight folks and to express gratitude. And so we just want to give you the opportunity to make a shout out today. It could be personal or professional. So whomever you would like to make a shout out to, um, you can go right ahead.
1: Well, that's an easy one. Um, as we talked before we went on, um, we're celebrating my, uh, mom's passing at 90, um, About a month ago, and we're going to celebrate that tomorrow uh, with a memorial service. So I owe a great uh, debt to both my mom and dad. But in my mom's case, in particular, she did a couple things that were amazing to me. Number one is she was a voracious reader and a voracious reader, meaning you know, there's only one letter difference there between an O and an E, and she read all the time. And I can remember when you know making the comment to her, she got over and said, "I will ensure that you always have a constant supply of books." I didn't realize. That that was going to mean that the Amazon people were going to be showing up at her house on a fairly regular basis. So because she would read <laughs> dozens of books a month. It was amazing. Uh, and she was a former teacher. Um, so I picked up my passion for reading from my mom. Uh, and the the voracious part that she had is that she would always give you the unvarnished truth about a book. She would say, This book's terrible. And I said, I would say, Well, why did you keep reading it? And she goes, Because you finish what you start. And that has been a big deal to me. I finish what I start. Um, And so I learned that from her. So that's my shout outs to my mom. And I'm just, I got a great legacy to live into with her.
0: It's, it sounds like it, Uh, she sounds like a fantastic woman. And I hope that you all can have a great celebration of life. It sounds like you're going to, was she, I have to ask you. So your mom um, passed away at 90 did, um, did she get into the world of Kindles or does she have like this, I'm just picturing like this bookshelf of just several books. And was she the type that was like handing them off all the time?
1: All the time. And, mm. you know, I'd have to go over and finally got to the point where I, you know, I had to take some books away because, you know, over time, you know, she kept downsizing and downsizing and you end up in an apartment where you, you just can't have a you know, I didn't want her to be the book lady. Like other people are the cat lady, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> you know there are books everywhere. Um, I'd like, you know, I describe. it. I, I have a lot of books, but a lot of books I haven't read yet. Cause I love books. My mom, I think my mom read every book she ever had, which is uh, wow. amazing to me. So yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. What a life discipline too. So well, cool. That's That's so great to hear a little bit about her. So tell us, Doug, um, we also like to ask, um, you know, what's been a game changer? And I always want to open this up. It's very, very open as far as it could be an office item. It could be a food item. It could be an experience, a conversation, a trip, whatever it may be. But it was a game changer for you personally.
1: Well, this actually, uh, interestingly enough, came from my dad. Because I was relatively young in my career as a professional, and I can remember sitting with him, and he, I was complaining that I didn't think I was getting the experiences that I needed to be able to grow. And he looked at me with this quizzical look that I had, had already come to realize I had said something really dumb. And he paused for a minute, and he finally said, I don't think you're having a problem with having experiences. I just don't think you're awake while you're having them. And I thought, I think I understand what you're saying. But mm-hmm. that began a journey for me of saying, because he, then he went on to say, look, the, from the moment you open your eyes in the morning until you close them at night, your life is filled with experiences. The question is whether or not you're paying attention. So, yes, there's some experiences you'd like to have. And that's a good thing to desire but the bigger part is you get experiences happening around you all the time are you taking the full advantage of learning and understanding what those experiences are teaching you and i thought well the answer that's no he says so here's the dilemma is it that that basically means you're retarding your own learning because if you have an experience you didn't learn from odds are you're going to get it again and again and again until you learn it well that then translated into what i've also discovered as he taught me is this whole notion of intentionality about think about what you can do if you actually are intentional about creating experiences for people. And that's really, that serve has served me well from a leadership perspective is just that the game changer for me was the power of intentionality and that most things aren't intentional. Most things are completely random or ad hoc or in the moment and that if you can add a small bit of intentionality to what you're doing, you can have enormous impact in people's lives. Uh, whether that be in the community you're a part of, you know, the business you're a part of, and the friendships you have. Uh, so the game changer for me has been understanding and learning more and more about the power of being intentional. But with a serving notion to that, not a, I'm trying to get something from it.
0: That is that is powerful. And for the folks that are listening today, you know, you are pursuing an act of intentionality to learn and to listen from other folks on the Sharpen podcast. So first of all, kudos to everyone in that way. And Doug, thank you, because we've received a lot today from you. um, And it does have in the in the spirit of the, the podcast theme, it has that sharpening effect. You know, we've heard a lot of great stories and ideas, but also some really practical, helpful ways to pursue intergenerational friendships in a way that's not... Um, selfish nor soft, but just like you said earlier, it's truly intentional and it just adds value and we can really bridge this unity gap. So I just want to thank you um, for, for, for joining us, for your time and for your perspective today.
1: Well, and people can reach out. I'm, as I said, I, my objective is to be accessible and available. So uh, Doug at mononcapital.com is a great way to get in touch with me.
0: Awesome. Hey, we'll put that in show notes too, so folks if you want to have access to that. I'll have that in show notes today. Um, But there there's an email address. I'll tell you what that rarely happens that someone says, hey, reach out to me. And so let's uh, definitely keep that in mind. But appreciate your time today. Hope you have a great celebration of of your mom's life and um, look forward to uh, maybe even having you back on the podcast. I feel like there's a lot that we could continue to to dissect.
1: Well, thank you. This has been terrific. I've enjoyed every moment of it.